Welcome in, folks. It's uh, Saturday, uh, August the 11th, uh, 2018, and I'm visiting this morning with my friend Rudy Frank. Rudy is the chairman and CEO and uh, co-founder of Seabridge Gold. Uh, I have long discussed the company as one of my favorites in years past of trading the swings in the gold market because Seabridge once upon a time used to pretty much be the Siamese twin of the gold price itself. If gold went up, Seabridge went up a lot more and then the opposite would also happen. But as I wrote in the commentary a few uh, weeks ago, that's still on my website, nationalinvestor.com, click on featured opportunities. In the recent past, Seabridge has done much differently than that. And in fact, if you go back to earlier this year, and look at the peak in the gold price and what it is now, you're down over 10% in the gold price. And at the same time, Seabridge shares are up well over 20%. So, Rudy, two things. First of all, number one, thanks for joining me on a Saturday morning. And number two, congratulations. Well, thanks, Chris. It's great to be back chatting. You know, one of the things that I've talked about for a while now that people are starting slowly to get their head around, though still, in my opinion, not nearly enough yet, is that, first of all, with the world-class property you have up in British Columbia, KSM, the dramatically improving economics over time are starting to get some attention. But even more than that, I think what is animating people more so these days, Rudy, to Seabridge is a much bigger company story is that a lot of the news that has come out recently has been on two other exploration projects you have. Let's first talk about Courageous Lake up in the Northwest Territories where you recently announced a couple new discoveries. Tell us for a couple minutes about those. Uh, sure, Chris. Yeah, so Courageous Lake is an asset that we actually did a fair bit of work on before we even put one single drill hole into KSM. And uh, I think at, in 2005, uh, before we started drilling at KSM, Courageous Lake on its own generated a market cap of about $500 million to our shareholders, uh, which is quite remarkable when you think about it. And then as we started to move with KSM, uh, Seabridge, you're absolutely right, it became thought of as a single asset only company because it's the only asset we were working on. I think people forgot how good Courageous Lake is. Courageous Lake on its own today would be uh, one of the largest undeveloped gold projects in the world as measured by reserves. We have six and a half million ounces of proven and probable gold reserves there, uh, which are contained in two kilometers of a 52-kilometer greenstone belt. Uh, and we always felt that there was additional exploration upside at Courageous Lake, uh, but we didn't really tackle that until again this year. Uh, we went back to drilling Courageous Lake this year, and we have found two new zones there that we believe could become satellite deposits to the large reserve we have. And that would have a positive impact on the project's economics. If we can find satellite deposits that are higher grade than our reserves and put them into the front end of the mine plan, uh, that'll have a big positive impact on Courageous Lakes economics. Well, and part of the reason for that, I, I, I remember correctly, is that Courageous Lake relative to a lot of properties uh, is fairly remote, and, you, and you've got a little bit higher bar as far as infrastructure and development, right? Uh, that's correct. It's, uh, it's, in north, uh, it's in the Northwest Territories. Uh, it's located pretty close to the two big diamond mines there, Diavec and Ikati. Uh, but it is, it is challenged from a logis logistical standpoint, especially if you compare it to KSM. Uh, there's not a lot of, there's no year-round roads going anywhere close to the project. 
Uh, there's no readily available power like we have at KFM. Um, so it, it, logistically, it is more challenging than KFM. Okay, and so real quick, Rudy, tell us about the two new discoveries there specifically as far as what makes you think that they're uh, perspective and worth pursuing. Yeah, so you know, think about this as a long um, uh, linear feature there called the Greenstone Belt. Uh, our 6.5 million ounces of reserves, which you call the fat deposit, is a bulk mineable, open pitable deposit. And what we're looking for are pearls along that string. And that string is 52 kilometers long. In 2012, we found one of those pearls called Walsh Lake, uh, where we have a, a, a almost a half a million ounces of gold now that are not yet factored into our mine plans. That's about 50% higher grade than our reserves. This year, we went out to test a number of other targets we thought showed potential along that greenstone belt. And at uh, one target called Olson, we came back with 40 meters. Uh, pretty close to the surface uh, at above three grams per ton uh, with an open pit configuration. Uh, that's about 50% higher grade than our reserves as well. And another zone called Marsh Pond where we were hitting intercepts of uh, better than three grams per ton as well. Uh, so if we can find a number of these half million to million ounce deposits uh, in addition to what we have at the fat deposit, that's going to really change uh, the outlook for Courageous Lake dramatically in terms of uh, the economics. Uh, what you want to develop here is a uh, is a robust mine with a long mine life uh, to offset some of the capital you'll need to spend uh, because of the lo logistical uh, issues you face at Courageous Lake. Well, that's neat. It sounds like with those recoveries, you're on your way to doing that, and we'll all be looking forward to more news. Uh, let's shift now, Rudy, to uh, some geography that's a bit more accessible, <laughs> and that is the state of Nevada and one of the things I wrote in my piece a few weeks ago I was talking about how John Paulson who most gold bugs uh, and even other investors recognize that name he's a billionaire he's a hedge fund manager and philanthropist and more and those that know your story with Seabridge know that even though Paulson has been extremely critical of the gold mining industry generally as far as operations and their use of funds. Uh, most recently he got into some public spat with Detour Gold from Canada uh, where he's trying to force a sale or some other thing and that got to be a little bit ugly in the public domain. So for a guy that has not had a great deal of good to say about the industry generally I think it's another big feather in the cap of you personally in your management and Seabridge Gold that he decided to take what is one of the most prospective projects in the state of Nevada the snowstorm property and put it in Seabridge in exchange for some equity position in your company so that again speaks well to you and you are now uh, embarking on a more advanced exploration program down there that may lead shortly to some drill targets. Tell us a bit about uh, what you're doing at Snowstorm this year. Yeah, so Snowstorm is, uh, is an opportunity that we've been after for a few years now and finally picked it up about a year ago from John Paulson. We issued uh, 700,000 shares uh, of Seabridge to buy this asset. Uh, this asset is a large land position. It's uh, more than 25,000 acres. It sits on the intersection of the three most prolific gold belts uh, in Nevada, the Getchell Trend, the Carlin Trend, and the Nevada Rift Trend. And just to the south of us, you have some of the most successful mines uh, that have ever been operated in, uh, in Nevada. 
like Twin Creeks, uh, Turquoise Ridge, which are both Newmont and, and, uh, and Barrick mines, and, and the Midas mine, which is a past Newmont mine as well. Uh, we, 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 this is elephant country. Uh, we, we know that. Uh, a lot of our team actually has been involved uh, in, in the district uh, in, in uh, previous life that they had in the industry. Um, you know, we're looking for deposits here that are 5 to 10 million ounces uh, within eyesight of existing mines. So from an infrastructure perspective and, uh, and logistics, it, it's a lot easier than what we have in, uh, in the Northwest Territories. This year what we're doing is uh, there's been a lot of data generated on this project over the years, but it's never really been put together in a proper uh, database. We've now done that. And on top of that, we're doing a bit of geophysics uh, this year to look underneath the tertiary cover. In this part of Nevada, uh, none of the deposits crop out of the surface. They're, they're under cover. So we're looking now at geophysical techniques that actually can be used to look under the tertiary cover to identify structures that we would then drill. Our goal here is that by the end of this year is to come up with uh, drill-ready targets and in 2019 to go in and test some of these targets that we identified this year. Now, are these, these are primarily gold or is there silver or both? Rudy. Yeah, there's some silver with it, but these are primarily gold targets. Uh, you know, you have a, a gold-silver ratio there, but you know, 90 to 95 percent of the metal value in these deposits come from gold. Okay, and so that's another up-and-coming, potentially uh, major uh, property down the road, but that's going to take more work. And so early next year is when you may potentially start drilling. Uh, that's correct. Okay. Uh, and real quick, before we finish up, I want to go back to the uh, core asset and the one that is most advanced, of course, and that is KSM. It's one of the premier gold and now increasingly recognized as a gold-copper uh, resource in the entire world. And the in the recent past, the newest of the discoveries there, Iron Cap, has really stormed into the lead as far as the relevance, and that may have a lot to do with the pecking order as you develop that entire uh, property up there as far as what comes first and the economics and so forth. Now, before I make a misstatement as far as the number, I want, I want to ask you for it. Today, based on all of the public information that's out now about uh, the resource and so, so forth, correct me if I'm wrong, but using the massive amounts of copper, Rudy, at KSM as well, what are your potential all-in sustaining costs down to for gold production were you to develop and start to mine KSM today? Yes, yeah, so if you use a copper price of, uh, of $3 a pound, which I think is reasonable in a long-term perspective, your all-in cost of production in our most recent mine plan is about $200 an ounce after the copper credits. And that takes into account the upfront capital of over $5 billion dollars the sustaining capital over a 50-year mine life, the closure and reclamation costs, and the operating costs net of byproduct credits. So it'll be one of the most uh, capital efficient projects uh, anywhere in the world in terms of total all-in costs. And, and these total all-in costs do not yet include uh, the additions we've made at Iron Cap over the past couple of years, which uh, we believe actually could be the best deposit we have there of the four in terms of uh, contained metal value per ton of ore. Well, and as you just announced at the end of this week in your quarterly statement, you are doing more drilling focused on Iron Cap 2 to grow that as well, aren't you? 
Yeah, we have not yet found the limits of iron cap. Uh, last year's drill program alone added almost 15 million ounces of gold and uh, 7 billion pounds of copper in the inferred category to our total resources at iron cap. And those additions came at the best grades we've ever seen. Uh, but as we're going deeper down dip on this deposit, uh, the grades uh, are improving. So this year we're going to be continuing the down dip drilling uh, at iron cap with the expectation that we can add as much as we did last year in a single drill program. Uh, at grades that could have a huge impact on the already robust economics at KSM. Wow. And do you have any uh, tentative date or target date, Rudy, by which you plan on upgrading that resource with some of the other drilling you're doing? Yeah, we, we tend to have our resource updates completed uh, February of the following year after we complete the drilling. Uh, we'll be drilling there this year, probably uh, till late September, early October again. Uh, we have five rigs at KSM right now, so the program is quite extensive. Uh, we should start announcing drill results at IRCAP probably within the next 30 days or so, and then continue that probably through November with the resource update happening in February. Neat. And, and last but not least, you, you just uh, uh, up to till a little bit, you closed on a, uh, another uh, private placement, which, uh, as you often have been able to do, uh, people are, were actually putting money into the company above the market price. Yeah, we did a financing, a flow-through financing that we closed, I think it was in, uh, in, in May, where we raised $19.7 million at a 28% premium to market with no warrant attached. And it was actually done as a private placement, so there were no commissions payable on it as well. You know, we're pretty fortunate that we have a shareholder base that continues to fund us year in and year out uh, in any market condition. Uh, I think the reason they do that is because, you know, we stay on script, we don't, uh, you know, and we're very careful with our shares. I mean, one, one of our uh, guiding principles uh, for the past 20 years has been to offset any equity dilution with accretion to ounces. So everything we do through acquisitions and expiration is focused on, on growing ounces per share. You can suffer dilution as long as you offset that dilution with value, and we define value as a uh, as growing ounces uh, in the ground at grades that are better than what we have previously identified. Well, you've certainly done that, and one of the things I look at, and, and of course people who follow the mining sector or are invested in it, whether or not folks that are listening are invested right now in Seabridge specifically, you know, we have a sector right now that even more than typically in the summertime has really been in the doldrums. The gold prices dropped. Copper has been an astonishing story for the turnaround uh, in a negative wave of copper in a recent past. Those things over time, I think, are going to resolve themselves for different reasons. But folks, if I can say this, I, I look at Seabridge, which was near $30 a share, and I'm talking about in the U.S. market on the New York Stock Exchange, where the symbol is SA in Toronto, it's SEA. But even here in the U.S. Uh, on the New York Exchange, this was a $30 stock a few years back or so at the peak of the sector, now you're at 12 and some change with a company that is so far beyond fundamentally its resources, its story, where it was at 30, it, it's, it's it, it, incredible. Uh, so all day long, if you're a long-term bull on the metals and you even have half of an understanding of Seabridge's story, 
even after its recent strength of late, in my view, this is nothing. So, again, for that outperformance, especially of late, Rudy, congratulations on some belated recognition of, of just how deep Seabridge's story is, and thank you for joining me today. Chris, always a pleasure, and I look forward to our next call.